Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. My name is Richard. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Really glad you're here. Welcome to church. And uh, just to reiterate the invitation Tom made, like if you don't uh, know anyone around here, please come and say hi. If I don't know you, I, I promise I'll forget your name next week, but it would be really good to meet you. I'll be out there at the Connect Space. I'd love to say hi. And uh, we're going to do a Bible study now. So pull out a Bible if you've got one. If you haven't got a Bible, wave your hand in the air and someone will hand you one. Um, so you can follow along. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians, so you can find that. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that home. We'd love you to have a Bible so you can be reading the Bible every day. Okay, so we've been in this series in First Thessalonians uh, that we've been calling Rediscovering Church. Because I, I feel like we've been on this journey as a church. You know, like COVID happened, transition, change, you know. Uh, and just it created this like intentionality of like, okay, well, like what does Jesus want to do in our church? And uh, you know, if you've been here for a little while, uh, you know, some of that vision we were able to bring into focus in September, um, especially around the idea of like being a King Jesus family. And it's so good then to be in this book of First Thessalonians because Paul is writing to a kind of fledgling church in a city where, well, they're kind of being called a bunch of idiots. Like, the, the culture of the city is basically mocking them. Like, you guys are stupid. Like, your way of life is so dumb. Like, there's no way this is working. And, and I'm putting it kindly, but also a little bit like, man, you guys, you're not joining in with the things you should. Like, you're, you're doing things wrong. Your way of life is wrong. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And Paul's writing to this church, he'd be like, no, guys, I want to encourage you. Like the way of Jesus, like it, it works. Like some of the stuff you're already doing, keep doing. And I want to show you how to like step further into the things Jesus has for this King Jesus family that's called the church. And so we, uh, in the first part of the letter, Paul was sort of laying out the nature of the, this family, this King Jesus family. And then in the second part of the letter, he starts addressing like, hey, there are some ways that living as a King Jesus family in your city, there are some challenges, and I want to give you some input around those challenges. And so last week, uh, we had like uh, the first uh, dose of that was around like how we view and use our bodies and our sexuality in, in relationships. Paul had a, a corrective for the church there. And today we're going to get another one. But it all com comes under this umbrella of um, the, the beginning um, of this section where Paul says, you know, I want you to more and more learn how to please God to live in a way that aligns with like what God actually wants and that we're on this journey of becoming that. And, and I love that language more and more. I feel like it's so important. Like when, when Paul throws out like hard hitting, like guys, you've got to do this. Don't do this. Here's a boundary. Like beware of this, you know, all these things. He's sort of pointing at the way things should be. And it's really easy for us when we're like, okay, I see it, but I'm, I recognize I'm kind of over here still. 
or I didn't even know about that, or I've never thought about that, or I failed in that area, whatever it is, for us to kind of be immobilized and be like, ah, like, do I hide in the back? Like, what do I do? Should I feel ashamed? You know, and we've got to remember that like, we've got all of these practical things Paul's talking about fall under this umbrella of more and more. Like being on this journey where Paul knows, like, hey, you guys have got like some hot mess of stuff here and there and everywhere, but I'm inviting you come to this place. And so that impulse inside of us where we're like, should I hide? Should I like, what should I do? It's like, no, I should come forward and be like, like, yes, Jesus. Like I want to submit to, I want like, would someone pray for me? I want to step into that because actually we're on the more and more journey. So this whole like rest of this series falls under this umbrella of like, being formed to become like Jesus and being on that journey. The expectation is not that all of us would just have somehow automatically found ourselves there. That would be weird, right? If we treated each other that way, right? They're like if we parented our kids, you know, it's like, well, how come, you know, you don't have a degree yet? Like, well, you know, they're just five years old. Why would they, right? We, we kind of, we, we understand this idea of process, but when we get sort of things uh, like destinations given to us, Sometimes it's really hard for us to sort of absorb that and wrap our hands around that as a destination of our process, like that God wants to take us on. So that's the tone of what we're going to read and study today. So would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to read, it's chapter four. And by the way, we stand to read um, because we want to elevate and acknowledge the importance, like God, we value your word. And this is like important and authoritative to us. I was just thinking we do this a lot. We stand and like you might, you know, have never talked to someone about why and thought, you know, why are we like yo-yos in church? Like what's going on? It's kind of weird. So that's what's going on, okay? It's because it's so important. So we're going to read these verses and then pray. So Paul says this. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you care about us enough that you sent the Spirit to record these things. And not only that, but you've sent your Spirit here and now in our midst to reveal your truth to us, to show us how to respond and to do the work in us of transforming us as we respond to you. So Jesus, we we give ourselves to you, we invite you. What do you have to say to us today? Help distractions fade away and make clear anything you've got for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, grab a seat. So it won't have escaped your notice as we start reading a big theme, love. So let's start by talking about that. Paul's encouragement is that like more and more that this would be a group of people that grow in love with one another. And it's actually like a distinctive Greek word, Philadelphia. Um, And uh, like some translations will not just say love, but they'll say brotherly love. And it is, it's this distinctive, it's family love. 
So it's not just sort of a generic idea of love or I feel like we have a cultural idea of love that's just like, well, just kind of be kind to each other, be nice to each other. You know, um, this is deeper, this is richer. This is like, hey, there's some kind of reality of you being connected together that means there's a bond of love and, and that ought to mean something, like relationships of love, expression of love, commitment of love to one another ought to be growing more and more amongst you. And this is, uh, this is something that actually we need to be taught by God. So that it, it's not just like a, a command, like, hey, you all need to start doing this, okay? But it's actually Paul's describing a process of like, hey, you need God to teach you so that love can grow. So getting that relationship of like, we actually need God um, if we're gonna do this. And uh, Paul, man, through all of his letters, yeah, if you've got time this afternoon, just read all of your New Testament through a couple of times and, and just notice the amount of times that Paul talks to the churches about, oh, love's growing, love's a big deal, like love's the main thing. I'm so glad I'm seeing love growing amongst you. Or some of the, hey, we need to talk about something, is when like, love's become dysfunctional. And, and Jesus made a really big deal of love as well. Um, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, it's this point where Jesus is kind of giving some of his parting words to his disciples. Um, it's like important, hey, I want to set the stage for what's ahead. And this is one of the things he said. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is, this is like beautiful, but also shockingly, frighteningly profound. Right? Catch the two big ideas in what Jesus said. Number one, we're supposed to love each other the same way Jesus loved us. Like, so, so what should love look like? It should be like completely gracious, kind, gentle, powerful, cross-shaped, self-giving love. Like, oh my goodness. You know, the, and the moment I see that as the definition, I'm like, yeah, like, I, the definition like, is on the horizon. I got so much to grow in to be that, right? It, it's, a, it's such a high call. Um, I, like one of my favorite worship songs from the 90s, had, it, it, it's, um, it's got like all of these lines about the way we kind of get comfortable with lesser calls. Like we've crafted ourselves a more comfortable cross. Like what can I, what can I gain instead of what can I give? You know, like it, it's just, it's really countercultural, this love. It's a really different kind of love. So not only is it like a high bar, but actually so many of my muscles, so much of my wiring in my brokenness, in the culture, the city I live in, and its definition of love means like I, I'm trying to learn this version of God's love, but not like with a blank page, with a bunch of like weeds that need tearing out, a bunch of pruning that needs doing. And it starts to make sense more and more like, yeah, I need to be taught. Like I need God to actually like show me how to do this. Um, John, who wrote that gospel, he's sometimes called the apostle of love. He talks about love in his letters as well. Um, oh, there was a second profound thing before we get to John. I said there were two. The, the other profound thing, he says, 
this is why you should always like have a Bible open and actually look at the verses. Then you remember all the things that are in there. Um, he says, people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Isn't that crazy? Like people should be able to sort of encounter a King Jesus family, like Christian community, and kind of watch the way they are with each other and go like, oh, God is here. Like Jesus is at work, like divine power, like something real and true is actually happening here. Like God wants to reveal himself to the world by the way we love one another. And I think that's like, that's beautiful. Like that's a way of mission. I'm like, yeah, I can get on board with that. Like that sounds really, really good. There's a lot of growing to become that, but also it's kind of, it grieves me. And I'm sure it does you too. You know, you, you watch Christendom and you're like, man, the, the way Christians enter into so many challenges and conversations and figuring things out, it's not with love, but like hatred and despising each other and canceling each other and just like the tone it is like there's so much of our culture's way of doing things that is infected the way Christians are. And like, may God help us as a family learn how to not do that, to inhabit this version of love, and may God spread that to like the, the church around the world as well. Like we desperately need God to level up our love for each other so that people can see Jesus more. And, and John, then, to get to John's letter, he says this in 1 John. He says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So here's the dynamic. This is really important. It's not that Paul is being like, hey, you all need to love. So like, go get a book out of the library, like study it, and then just do it. No, actually... God is the source of love. And as God loves us, we actually get transformed by his love and enabled, set free, healed, like our capacity to love gets healed so that we can then love the way Jesus loves. So this is not just some sort of ethical command, like, hey, new rule of life, you know, write it up somewhere, make sure you do this. It's not just a rule to live by, it's a dynamic to step into and actually be transformed by, to experience God's love and allow it to change us and shape the way we are to others. Really beautiful and really countercultural, right? Because our, our world's view of love, like bits of true, like God's version of whole love get reflected in culture. But you look at culture, you won't find the whole of it. Like we're not gonna learn to love by just like, watching the news and listening to political commentary and watching like social commentary on the cultural issues of our day. Like we'll see little opportunities, we'll see little snippets of love, we'll see bits of it. But the only place we can go to learn to love the way that like true love is, is God. So we need to sort of submit ourselves to that. Like we need a reorientation of how to love. And, and it's not only a re reorientation, but it's something that God does that God produces by the power of the Spirit. Like there's so many verses where the Spirit's work and love both come together. Like think about in Galatians 5, like a, a sort of familiar 
bit of the New Testament where Paul lists like, hey, here are the fruits of the Spirit. So when the Spirit is producing the right stuff, what's the right stuff it produces? At the top of the list, love. Or like a really familiar, if you've been to a wedding this summer, like chances are at some point someone read 1 Corinthians 13, which is that list of like love is patient, kind, and like all the things love is, right? That chapter of the Bible is not about marriage. It comes on the heels of chapter 12 where Paul lays out this idea that as a, as a family, we're like a body, like all these different parts, okay? So like you can be a big toe, you can be a left knee, okay? You can be a retina, okay? You, you can be a hair follicle, like you can be a hand, like all these different parts and we're all necessary, like God has a part for us to play, but we're all interdependent. And then when that happens, as a body, we get to present Jesus to the world. Like Jesus gets to inhabit this world through his people being that kind of body. And the Holy Spirit shows up in all of that variety, doing different things in different places with different people. And, and you know, the Corinthian church, man, they were a mess. So you can you sort of imagine at that point, get to the end of chapter 12 and they're scratching the head and be like, yeah, but how on earth is that going to happen without us killing each other? Like, how are we going to figure that out? Like, this sounds like a, a lot of togetherness. And then you get the next chapter, which is like love. Love is how. Like, love's the guideline. Like, love's the, the, the trunk of the tree out of which all of these things will blossom. Like, love is the central thing that the Spirit does so that all these other things the Spirit does can flourish and thrive. So like over and over again, we get this hope breathed into us as we see this idea of love and be like, <laughs> that seems a long way away from me. Like I got a lot of growing to get to there. And then we feel the Spirit alongside us saying, yeah, but you do realize you don't do it. I do it. Like you're gonna have to submit in faith and like partner with me but all the power it takes to get over here is my power. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, making you become like Jesus. So there's so much hope in it. And it's not just, um, there's a kind of vision of like what this looks like, which is actually to do with uh, uh, the whole storyline of the cosmos. Because I think one way to think about this is like, oh, there's a command, like, okay, for now, to, like, to solve some of the problems we've got, like, we just need to love. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, doing a class in college. You know, it's like, oh, you, you, know, you have to do homework on Wednesday nights and you have to read this book. Like, you just got to do it. And you're like, yeah, but if I don't understand the deep why, um, I'm going to binge watch Friends. You know, like, I, I'm not going to do that. Like, we've got to understand the why. And the good news is there's actually a really profound why behind this. Check this out in Colossians. Um, this is Paul writing to another fledgling church with some of the really similar issues to the Thessalonian church. So he's talking about some of the same stuff. So we just read this, and then I want, to, I want you to notice a couple of things. So it says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. This is uh, really similar to what we just read in Thessalonians, right? Sort of set in the same tone. Like, hey, like love is breaking out. This is really good. And that, um, that, that love that's breaking out 
is coming, it's springing, that faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that's come to you. So the gospel, the good news about Jesus, like the paradigm altering realization that God has stepped into reality and done something, that news has meant that you've been reoriented around your alignment, your relationship with heaven and with God's plan and God's design. And that change is actually enabling love to break out. And then he goes on to kind of unpack, like, yeah, but what's, what's really happening? What does that mean? In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and going, growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you. Uh, and, and he goes on to explain a bit and, and then finish with like, yeah, because what we're seeing is this love in the spirit, this love from the spirit. So tying it back to the work of the spirit. But in the middle there is some unfortunately translated words. What, if I said it this way, you might catch a little like, oh, hang on, that sounds familiar. So the gospel is going out into the whole world, being fruitful and multiplying. Are they familiar words? That's like Genesis 2, isn't it? So when God created the whole cosmos and launched things and said, like, here's this like, beautiful, good, rich thing that's going to happen, part of what like, the language that is like a, a trigger, like a hyperlink back to that idea is being fruitful and multiplying. So that's, like, that's what Paul is trying to get them thinking about. It's like, hey, the Spirit's at work and you've heard the gospel and it's affected you and you're connected to heaven. And what's happening is that God's design is happening. We're like re-edening the world as love is breaking out, as this family is becoming what it's supposed to be. God's Genesis 2 design is getting put back into the earth. Like that, isn't that so much more exciting than like, well, you know, we need to love each other. So just like go do it. But like how inspiring that like actually what we're being called to is to step towards God's grand design for the whole cosmos. And this isn't just like a temporary thing. This is actually bringing us back home to what we were created to be. So exciting. Okay, so there's something rich to step into. But Paul is not just going to inspire with some vision. He's going to get practical. So let's get to that. Um, you see, the Thessalonian church were facing some challenges about what this kind of love expressed in their family should function like, which is why the rest of these verses are here. Um, let, let's just uh, reread to refresh ourselves on the bit we haven't talked about. So uh, verse 11 and 12, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, I promise you, this relates to the first part, okay? But it's a little weird. Like, I don't know if anyone's reading along being like, yeah, love one another, awesome, and, like, and get a job. You're like, well, like, how do we get hit? Like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> this is a bit of a weird transition, right? It's sort of jarring to read. And, you know, actually, there's a flow of thought here, um, but it can seem a little strange. So what's going on? Well, we've got to understand something about the Greek concept of uh, this Thessalonian church. So in Greek society, 
the aspiration of like a life well lived was to be this kind of citizen of the polis, this citizen of the city that you lived in. Um, you, you would be like a, a military commander uh, and you would have space to just sort of engage in like aesthetic pursuits, art, like learning, uh, they sort of sort of uh, using weaponry, like sword fight, basically their version of martial arts, you know, like, but also poetry and art and, um, you know, like shooting the breeze, talking about philosophy, you know, like sitting back, reflecting on the world, like being the sort of wise sage who just thinks about things all the time. Um, it's not a million miles away from ideas we still have in our culture. It's like there's a the connection between the two. But basically, if you needed to work, okay, if you were just like, well, I got to put food on the table, like all that stuff, like I would aspire to be that, but I don't get to live that way. It's because something has gone wrong. Maybe it's just because you've been born into like the wrong caste, the wrong class. Like, you're, you're of a lower value in society. But what it leads to is this low view of work. That, like, work is a bad thing. Because actually, like, the life well lived doesn't include it. And especially so, working with your hands. Like, anything manual, okay? Which, for them, was basically all of work. It doesn't mean like, so yeah, they didn't have like marketing executives and like lots of these things that we do for work, but it includes all of those things. Uh, back in those days, like any kind of work was manual, basically. So like any kind of work is devalued. And here you've got this church that are trying to learn how to live as an interdependent family, as like a First Corinthians 12 body like all the different parts relating to each other, pushing and pulling against each other, like functioning by being connected to each other. Like a beautiful picture, and they're trying to learn how to live that, but the cultural voice they carry with them into this new life with Jesus says, hey, look for opportunities to become like the aspiring Greek life. Look for opportunities to kind of disengage from work and be someone who's just able to receive, and then, you know, just be the kind of weird, like, aesthete, hermit, thinker, like, whatever, you know, whatever that thing is. Um, and so they've got this confusion um, because of their cultural low view of work that as they enter into, like, how do we do this togetherness? The, the voice that all of them are feeling is like, is this an opportunity to, like, not work? Does that make sense? So that's kind of the question that they're being left with. And you see, God is really different because God has a high view of work. In fact, amongst like all the different worldviews there are, I think Christianity might have the highest view of work of any other worldview. And it all goes back to Genesis 2 again. Like think about kind of what's happening in Genesis 2. Right? In, in chapter 1, you get this uh, picture of like darkness and chaos and an environment that it's, it's not good and life can't thrive. Like good things can't happen. It's, it's not beautiful, it's kind of chaotic. And God steps in and God's using his power to bring order, to de-chaos, to like bring goodness and beauty into the world so that life can thrive. 
And then you kind of get into chapter two as he then introduces humans. And the, the unique thing about humans is he says, hey, I'm going to invite you and commission you to actually participate as my image bearers in the same work. And so they're invited to be fruitful and multiply by continuing the work of bringing order, of bringing beauty, of bringing goodness, of de-chaosing the world so that life can thrive and goodness can happen more as God's partners. And, and the language around that is to work and tend. And work literally means like, yeah, like be active. Like where there's chaos, where there's weeds, like grab them and pull them up. But not just, not just activity, but tend to get like care. Like work where its purpose is something that actually is internal, that we actually care about. It, which is, is mirroring what God's done. God's heart, God's care for his creation, God's love for good purposes are causing God to like engage the chaos and the disorder by being this powerful, good provider as he shapes the world for human beings to enter as his partners and thrive in it. And so we are actually invited to a view of work that we can care about, but work gets elevated to actually be, it's a divine thing. It's a holy thing. Like, my goodness. Like, to, to be able to view like all the myriad of things we do as work that come under this umbrella of like de-chaosing the world, putting goodness and beauty and life into it. Like all of those things are not just what we do to get a paycheck, but they can come under like part of God's purpose, part of partnering with God in his purpose in creation. So this amazing high view of work. And actually I wanna read like uh, where we started in Colossians. I wanna read the next little bit because Paul pulls this idea in, in the way he unpacks this. So he says, for this reason, basically because of what I've seen the gospel doing, being fruitful and multiplying, now he's going to pray for this church and their needs. So he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way being fruitful and multiplying in every good work and the knowledge of God. Like what, a, what an amazing picture to pull that Genesis commission back into the picture. So you, at church, like the spirit's breaking out. A King Jesus family is breaking out. Love is growing and Paul's praying. It's like, may being fruitful and multiplying actually continue, may it expand. And what that looks like is, is actually that being fruitful and multiplying in every good work and in the knowledge of God. And that knowledge of God is not just knowing about, right? It's not just like, open your textbooks now. Like, okay, chapter two is what we're on. Like, you know, just trying to like understand the ideas. But it's that thing we talked about of like, yeah, love, learning love is about like experiencing God's love, being connected, being recipients of God's love and being transformed by it. It's that kind of knowledge of God where God's actually making himself known to us 
and the ways he's making himself known to us are changing us. And may that happen more and more, which is we talked about last week is just the process we call sanctification. Sanctification is not like you get a textbook on how to be a good Christian and be like Jesus and you just gotta work through it. No, it's a journey with Jesus as Jesus makes himself known that we continue to respond and allow him to transform us and being fruitful in every good work, like looking for opportunities to work in ways that actually are expressions of God's design, like something really beautiful that we're being invited into. And in Thessalonians, Paul makes clear, like this is not just like for your own good, this is a part of God's mission. Like living this way as this kind of family, this is uh, part of our witness to the world. This is part of how we're salt and light. This is part of how people get to see the distinctiveness of Jesus is actually by the way we view like learning from God and being shaped by God and working as a partner with God. Like the way we view our work and the way we actually do it, the way we engage with it. And so like it's really high view of work. So what Paul is doing is he is correcting how to be a family that's interdependent. And I think this is a little confusing for us when we don't know the culture, because you can get to the last sentence and be like, so that no one should be dependent on anyone. And we can clock that phrase because our culture has that idea. Like, how can you be like the best American you can be? Like, a life that's just really well lived. Well, it's when you have the ability to pull yourself by your, by, by your own bootstraps and like whatever challenges come your way, you can face them by yourself. That you never need any help. That's when you know you've made it. That's when you know you're like a really strong person, when you don't need any help. No, like that's not God's plan. Like that whole body metaphor and loads of other things, that's like a whole sermon series of things we can unpack in the scriptures. That's not the invitation for God's people. That's actually a broken idea. So it can't be that. But what Paul's actually saying is, hey, as you've got this view of interdependence and you're trying to figure out how to be a family, the Greek voice is saying, oh, how can I get from this? And Paul's saying, no, that's not the posture. Like the way we enter into this family is we entrust ourselves to the family so that we're able to receive. And then we commit ourselves to serving that family in the opportunities to generously give. That's the posture that they needed the corrective on. Like this family is like, we don't, we don't come and participate with like our primary focus being what can I get out of it? Like Jesus' way of love is sacrificial. Our primary conversation is what can I give? I think it's really interesting as we've prayed about this season of generosity, which we didn't just make up today. We pray about these things. We feel like God's leading us into it. So interesting that we start talking about that as God has got us in this bit of the scriptures as well, as this comes up. That wasn't planned. That's like, oh, it's almost like the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing and is trying to speak to our church. It's really cool. So that's the invitation. A life well lived is one that's seeking to generously give. And our work is a part of that. And that, that enriches our idea of what our work is for. But not only this, okay, because Paul's also going to get practical. Because again, it's like, okay, that sounds wonderful. But like, I feel this way about my work now. 
Like, it's Sunday. Most of you in the room are facing Monday morning. How do you feel about it? Right? Paul knows that just this information, you know, it, it's, it's not going to just mean automatically that Monday morning's just going to be different now. Like, there's a journey of getting there, and he's got a really important ingredient about how to get there. And it's this phrase that we've skipped over in the middle where he says, hey, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Did anyone notice that that sounds a little strange? Yeah, because it almost sounds as he's giving this advice. It's like, just chill out, just rest, like take a nap, okay? And get a job and work with your hands. Yeah, it's like, are you, like, like, what's going on? Are you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? It's a little strange, isn't it? And so whenever we hear something in the Bible, we're like, that's weird, and it seems weird to us, it's probably because we're missing something. And so we've got to unpack it a little bit to see how to make sense of it. And this, uh, this word, quiet, is this Greek word, hesychadza. And uh, it's a word that sometimes, it means literally like zip it, be quiet, be silent. But most of the time, it's getting used in a connection actually with rest and peace and Sabbath. It's that concept of like where, where conflict turns into unity. Where striving and like stress and anxiety turn into peace. Okay, where, I don't know, feeling like you're, you're fighting to like keep your head above water, turn into like a place of security where you can actually rest, where you can experience that Sabbath rest. And that's, that's the corrective that they needed in their culture because their understanding of what life was for had broken their idea of what work was for and that had broken the connection between work and rest. So Paul's trying to realign these ideas for us. Um, and some of the, the broken ideas about why we work, they exist in our culture as well. I, I think our culture predominantly teaches us that we work in order to achieve security and comfort. And, and we're built with good desires. Okay, to enjoy life, to enjoy this world, to be surrounded by beauty and goodness and richness. And we're designed to be secure. We're not designed to live lives like under threat with anxiety. We're not designed like Adam and Eve to like want to hide behind a bush. That's like not the way God designed us. But that desire coming out in a way that's like, well, if I just work enough, I'll be secure and then, like, and then I'll be able to rest. It's a fool's errand. You know, it's like the famous like, J.D. Rockefeller quote. You know, if, like, he's, if you don't know, he, this is like, yeah, there's some younger people in the room who are like, I've, I've never heard of that person. He was a really rich guy. And someone asked him, how much money do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. Always, just a little bit more. And see, it's, it's this fool's errand. And, and what happens is if we see our work's purpose as making us secure and restful, like if I work enough, I'll experience Sabbath. What happens is that work becomes the very thing that's in the way of us resting. We end up in this contradictory place where we feel like we need to do it, but we can't enjoy it, and it's in the way of the things we actually want. And then we retire, and then we die. 
Like that's not the tragedy that God's designed us for and that's not what Jesus has for us. Like there's this, there's this other opportunity and we've got to get the rest pass right as well. Like has anyone had a week where you feel like if you've got a rhythm of Sabbath or even just rest, like rest is what you do when you collapse in exhaustion because of the way you worked. Like has anyone ever had weeks like that? Okay, there's like four honest people in the room. Okay, the rest of you, you gotta like be honest or you gotta wake up. Like we, we all have moments like that because our culture teaches us that rest is what we earn once we've exhausted ourselves and we just, I can't get any more secure, so I guess I'll make my peace with it and rest. I guess I can't get any more comfort, so I'll just be okay with what I've got and rest. Like the way of Jesus is different. What if Jesus actually wants to give us security and peace and comfort and rest and actually invite us into inhabiting it? And then from that place of security and Sabbath to send us out with vision to go and work, not to anxiously get something, but to give something. That would be a game changer. And that's the dynamic, that's the design we're called back into. Think about Genesis. God creates this garden and it's like a place of Sabbath, okay? And then God says, hey, the garden isn't it. I'm inviting you as my partners to like learn how to interact with me and learn how to partner here. And then we're gonna go outside the garden and we're gonna take on the world. Like, the, like that's actually God's design. Like Sabbath is supposed to be the core out of which flows the good things. And Jesus talked about this as well. Check this out. There's a couple of uh, parts in the Gospels. So Matthew 11, in the midst of like a chaotic feast with like so much energy and life going on, Jesus stood up and he said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A little bit earlier in Matthew, uh, in chapter six, he says, don't worry, saying what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's going on here is Jesus is not saying, do you know what? Come to me and you'll never work again. We want it to say that because our broken cultural wiring says that's the aspirational life. But actually, God's high view of work means we should aspire to work well. What Jesus is saying is I wanna set you free from your craving and your striving and your anxiety for security and peace and rest and comfort. I wanna set you free from battling from those things. I, I want you to receive them from me. 
And having received them, you will stand on a foundation out of which you can then go and work, that you can then move into being fruitful and multiplying. So this, this is what unlocks the dynamic Paul is getting at here. As we grow to be a family that love one another, as we, as we fight to posture our love to be what can I give, how can I serve the people around me, like we need to understand the place of rest in unlocking our ability to do that. That's the magic that we're being invited into. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.